Welcome to America's Heroes Group podcast with information and resources that's disseminated intentionally to empower our military population with host Vietnam veteran Cliff Kelly and co-host Iraq veteran Colonel Dr. Damon Arnold. And now, America's Heroes Group podcast. And uh, we are now going to be discussing filing VA benefits and appealing VA denials. Uh, we have two esteemed colleagues and people who are uh, able to talk about this uh, topic extensively. Uh, Brian Klaus is a uh, neutral arbiter, mediator, attorney at Klaus ADR Incorporated, located in Park Ridge, Illinois, and America's Heroes Group Advisory Board member. And we also have uh, Monica Ireland uh, Karras, and she is a veterans benefit attorney with Tabak Law based out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Uh, I need to see both of you very soon. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Hi. Hi. We've had some discussions in the, in the past a bit uh, with uh, Brian, and I am so uh, pleased to have both of you. This is such an important topic, especially now because we have veterans who do have disability claims or are, able or who are eligible, but especially during the time of COVID-19, where that is really complicating the picture for, you know, picture for people who have disabilities or chronic medical conditions underlying uh, their normal uh, state of health. So uh, I'm going to let it open it up. And Brian, why don't you open it up uh, and tell us a little bit about what you're doing. And then Monica, just fill us in on the entire full world of this, uh, <laughs> of this uh, discipline. <laughs> well, well it's, it's interesting, uh, Dr. Arnold, that you mentioned COVID because that's what we're going to talk about is a topic related to COVID. Um, Monica's up in Wisconsin, which we've all seen the news. They're in worse shape than we are in Illinois. And everybody's on lockdown or should be on lockdown or should be wearing a mask. Uh, Mm -hmm. But one of the things that have been affected has been the veteran's ability to go to the VA for what are called comp and pen exams. And Monica and I have been talking about that. It's a Mm -hmm. huge headache. Mm -hmm. Um, so, Monica, I, I'm just going to ask you, comp and pen, that's a term of art. Could you just tell us what a comp and pen exam is? Sure. Um, so once a vet makes a claim for disability um, service connection, they have to prove those three elements, and we've talked about it before. They have to have um, a current diagnosis. They need to have something that happened in the service. Um, and they have to have a link between those two. And oftentimes when people file, what they're looking for is that link because sometimes it's been a long time. <laughs> so when you make that um, initial claim or maybe you're following up and trying to get an increase, the VA will order what's called the Compensation and Pension Exam or Compensation or a CMP. Um, and that exam is what they use sometimes to determine how disabled you are or whether there is a medical nexus um, from your in-service event to what is wrong with you now. Okay, so let's back that up. So there's there's two things you can be claiming, compensation and pension, correct? Uh, are you asking me the difference between a, compens- a service-connected claim and a pension claim? 
counselor, you're answering a question with a question. <laughs> Objection. I am. You need to. Yeah, so let's talk about comp- compensation. Well, first, I think pension is uh, is a little simpler. So if you could just give us an overview of how a vet would qualify for a pension mm-hmm. through the VA. Um, the pension is a little bit different. It doesn't. It means typically you're below the federal poverty line. And um, you need benefits, and you served, and your um, discharge was something that was at least honorable or general under honorable, something other than dishonorable. And you have some injuries that may or may not be service-connected, but you are in need of financial help, and that is what a pension is. Okay, so this is, for, this, is for a, this is for a vet who is in need. And well, the, the comp and pen is for service connection, right? I'm talking, for, about a, talking about a pension. Uh, so a pension is for a vet in need. Now, the compensation, how does a vet qualify for compensation? So you're talking about a service-connected disability, and right. you qualify for that because something happened to you in service and you are now sick on account of it. And because of those two things, um, there is what's called the medical nexus or a link between those two. So um, you had a traumatic brain injury, and now you have, because you were near an IUD, and now you have immense migraines. Um, you're going to make a claim for those migraines, and the VA is more than likely going to order that you go in for a compensation and pension exam to determine whether, in fact, the two are linked and just how bad your disability is based on their rating scale. So how soon after a claim is filed will a vet be called in for a comp and pen exam? Well, that's kind of the magic question because the VA does everything at the VA's own speed. Um, If you get an initial denial, they are not going to order one because obviously they don't think you qualify. if they are still considering it, uh, sometimes you will get it right away in a matter of weeks. You'll get the call. Um, sometimes it'll take months. Sometimes it'll take years. Um, hopefully not years now. Um, we have a very interesting thing happening actually just this week with comp and pen exams. And the government decided, um, I want to say about a year ago or so, that they were going to start outsourcing these comp and pen exams. So, when you when you say the government, you, do you mean this was a VA decision, or did it come from? This is a VA decision. Uh, Secretary Wilkie is handing down these uh, orders, and right, so, so they, were comp and pens normally done by VA physicians prior to hit this order you're talking about? Well, VA, yes, physicians, maybe not. Uh, you could have a physician assistant. You could have a nurse practitioner, um, but it. it Typically, yes, a VA physician. Okay, and, and what's happened as part of this new order? So now, uh, within the last few weeks, VA has decided they are outsourcing all of the compensation and pension exams. So uh, you will no longer be called into the VA to be examined. You're going to be uh, examined by an independent third-party contractor. That sounds like it has the potential for... Uh, well, like that, it could be troubling because I'm I'm wondering what the compensation basis is for these for these um, third party physicians if they're being told to not find claims or whatever. Is is anybody doing any FOIA work? Uh, 
the Freedom of Information Act work? Oh, not that I know of. That's a great question. But um, the, I believe she's the chair out of um, Virginia, had a lot of questions this week about what exactly is going on and the fact that the rules are really kind of non-existent as to what the oversight is going to be of these people. Um, So that is very problematic, and she sent a list of questions to the secretary and asked for a mid-November answer. A lot of physicians get their start, you know, do their residency or their first first job in in medicine with the VA. Does this mean the VA is going to not be hiring physicians or laying off physicians? Um, that was another thing that um, we there were questions about. What exactly is going to happen, and why are we laying off in the midst of COVID? Um, however, uh, I don't believe that um, it's going to be a huge wave of layoffs for um, VA. Their doctors are typically, you know, in their clinics, uh, kind of in, you know, doing the dirty work. Dr. Arnold, did you ever work for the VA? Oh, well, um, you know, I was uh, in the military for 26 years and uh, as a physician. Um, so I was um, actually uh, did two tours in Iraq and 23 countries. So did went through a lot of different things. Uh, did do some time with the VA actually uh, back in 1984. That's why I actually joined the military because I was so disgusted with the way veterans were being treated, particularly the Vietnam veterans. And uh, my father had served in World War II, uncles, and had gone through that whole process. I had a cousin who actually died in Vietnam. And uh, so I, you know, it's always been a very close uh, issue to my heart. So I joined uh, in 84 and didn't get out to 2010. (laughs) I wasn't expecting to stay that long, but uh, I stayed stayed there for quite a bit. And, uh, you know, one of the, you know, one of the things that you were sort of touching on is this issue about the V, uh, the veterans. Some veterans actually were, um, you know, some physicians were veterans and they were familiar with the whole process and what veterans go through. And, you know, actually on a battlefield with people and saw these things happening. And then you have some veter- you know, some physicians who just came from the outside, from the private sector, um, but were in the VA system long enough to start getting the lingo and starting to understand what people were talking about. Not that they were always effective at what they were doing, <laughs> but they were at least in touch with that. So if you privatize this and send it outside, this, it seems like there's going to be a complete disconnect between uh, the experiences of a, of a physician who's outside and knowing what veterans go through. So, uh, and I, I have a question, Monica. You've done yeah. some research on this. You, know, you heard Doctor Arnold's com- comments. I mean, I think we're all thinking the same thing. And my question is: is is that we heard from this administration early on? We want to privatize the VA, which was insanity. Um, mm-hmm. But my question is: is this than them trying to privatize the VA as they're going out, you know, as they're leaving the building, hopefully? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's kind of what this sounds like. It sounds like they, that is what's happening. And it's, um, it's a little early to judge, but um, so far it hasn't been so good. Um, so far our experience with outside examiners has not been real great. Um there are numerous holes in the reports. There's numerous inconsistencies in the reports. And the other thing is, is, you know, the VA has spent a lot of time and a lot of money 
on post-traumatic stress disorder, on mental health, on military sexual trauma. <laughs> and now to try and send that out to a group of people that don't really have the knowledge um, is a little unnerving. Is is there a possibility? You know, we had um, Brent Filbert on uh, right before us from uh, University of Missouri and all his work in rural communities. Is there a possibility that if this program were narrowly tailored, it could be of a benefit to those vets in the middle of nowhere? Yes. Yes. And that was how it was rolled out. That was how it was introduced to us, is that this was going to be a good thing because these individuals in rural areas would not have to, you know, try and report to their nearest VA hospital. Um, So, I mean, sure, there's the possibility of that, um, but in my experience, um, oftentimes people that are in rural areas, the issues are, are bigger than just getting to the content exam. What, are, what do you see now as, as some of the issues that you faced with comp and pen? I, I know the issues I would see, and it was one of the most common things is, is human nature. A physician or a physician assistant or, or whoever was performing the exam would walk into the room, ask the vet, how are you doing? The vet would say, oh, I'm fine, how are you? And they would write down, vet has no issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it certainly happened. It's um, I've had clients that have had some, you know, real um, invasive issues that are going to take a real kind of invasive uh, examination. I have a client in particular that has endometriosis and things like that. She said she never even got undressed. Yes. She barely got five five minutes with this doc before the doc, you know, made up their mind. Um, you know, I've actually, I've attended compound exams with my father, and um, I've kind of had to direct the questioning because I didn't feel like the right questions were being asked and um, you know, and sometimes they're not asked in the right language. So what, could, what, what could a person do? Like, say, you know, Dr. Arnold mentioned mm-hmm. his dad. You, you went with or his uncle, I believe, the, and some World War, World War II vets, and Dr. Arnold saw the treatment they were getting. You went with your dad. What can a listener do who's going to accompany uh, a friend or loved one to that exam? First of all, are they going to be led in by the medical staff? All right, if they bring someone with them? Yes. No, more than likely not. Uh, I kind of. How did you get? How did you get in? Uh, what, did you pull? Did you pull <laughs> wow. a little? Did you, did you yell and scream? I'm a lawyer. I'm going to sue everybody. Or how'd you get in? Well, my father has uh, significant dementia, and he doesn't know where he is or who he is. So, I, I actually am doing his mental health appointments for him right now because there's no point in even asking him questions. So. Um, in that particular situation, you kind of had to lead the horse to water. Um, but I have had clients tell me that they wouldn't let other people in with them. Yeah. So here's something mm-hmm. interesting. Mm-hmm. When you go into a comp and pen exam, there's something called a disability benefits questionnaire, which is what they're filling out. Mm-hmm. A year ago, I would have told you to get familiar with that form on whatever your issue was that you're walking in the door for. Now they have decided that they are not allowing uh, private citizens of the world to have access of those CBQs. So the disability benefits questionnaire that they fill out has now been pulled back. So you basically have to try and find an old one online somewhere 
because that's really your guide of what they're going to ask you. Is this something that should be the subject of a freedom of another Freedom of Information Act inquiry? Because the yeah. VA can't hide their medical their criteria for a medical diagnosis under law, can they? No, no. And how are we supposed to get private opinions to refute what they're saying when we don't know what questions are being asked? You know, um, I personally have enough experience that I know what questions are being asked, but uh, the run-of-the-mill person would not. Um, okay. Yeah. So then the average person who, say, say it's one of the listeners who has, a, let's say, a spouse or something who's going for that exam, do they need to, you know, two of them sit down with the Google machine and, and find that document? And if so, what's that document called? And, and how should they, like, say it's the PTSD you mentioned it, what, what document should they be looking for? So what I would recommend if you know how to use the Google machine um, is to look at your, your rating and see what uh, code they're rating you under. And when you go to the list of ratings codes, um, it's usually a four-digit code. It's like 5267 or 5269 or there's a whole range of codes. You look up that code, and that code has the rating criteria there from 0% to 100% or whatever the scale may be for that particular condition. And it will tell you what you need to meet 10%, what you need to meet 20%. So if you look at this and you go, oh, yeah, that's me, but then you walk into your comp and pen and they're not asking the right questions, yes. you better make sure you give them the right information. Yeah, and that, that's very familiar because, uh, you know, I've, I've walked into the comp and pen situation before and uh, I had one uh, examiner, and because I had uh, had an IED explode, they finally, uh, you know, looked at that. And I lost some hearing in the ear once they did the hearing test, the right test, <laughs> and uh, that kind of thing. But, I, I, you know, I started looking at it, and this, you know, this guy sat across from me in a dark room, uh, no examining table. He was about three feet away from me, never touched me, never. And he said, well, is, do, you have, do you use a cane while you do this? Okay, well, finish. Uh, that was the end of the exam. <laughs> and, you're a, and you're a physician. I'm a physician. He didn't know that. And I said, don't you think you need to do a physical exam? And I, I, when I told him, fishy, he turned red and he started, oh, my God. <laughs> and he said, well, this thing is over now. We, you know, I, I signed already and he had to leave. <laughs> so this is the kind of thing that I know that, uh, you know, people are fa facing all the time. They don't have that type of background. And they're sitting there going like, well, maybe that was really what this thing was about. Maybe I don't qualify, so I'll never try again. Well, and I don't want to make it all doom and gloom because yeah. there is hope. I yes. mean, you yes. get you get a bad comp and pen, mm -hmm. and you get a denial. Yeah. Take it to an advocate. Take it to an attorney that can take a look at it and and know what mm -hmm. the issues are. That sounds essential. Well, do you have a telephone number or a website that people should go to? You know, when they're uh, yes. dealing with this. Yes. <laughs> yes, my phone number is four one four three seven five one six five seven. 414-375-1657. And our website is TABAC, T-A-B-A-K, attorneys, A-T-T-O-R-N-E-Y-S, dot com. And Monica, the VA appeals can be handled by any attorney throughout the country. You don't have to be in Wisconsin to call you, right? Oh, yeah. My clients are actually international. They're all over the world. Um, so yeah, you don't have to, to be in the state of Wisconsin to call. Oh, fantastic. Um, 
And is, is there a fee for services and things like that? Or how, how does that work for uh, veterans? So the way it works for an attorney is the attorney, um, once they are successful on your claim, um, they get a percentage of your back pay unless you agreed differently. Okay. So in my situation, we have agreed to a 20% of your back pay. Mm-hmm. That's what my fee is. Um, the yeah. um, Office of General Counsel has said that a fee of 20% or less is deemed to be uh, okay, um, and they're not going to question it. Mm -hmm. Uh, When attorneys start to take 30% and more is when you have to prove that you really, really earned that fee. Yeah, but that that's a, you know, but uh you know, at least you get 80% of what you didn't have. <laughs> you know, you're, well, you know right. you're walking in with a zero and uh, well, you know. <laughs> absolutely. And Monica, you just had a big one this last week or something, didn't you? Didn't you get a, a big award? I back? A, <laughs> yeah, I had a great award last week and I'm actually really proud of that one because um my client had a sexual trauma and at no point during um me presenting his claim, I had two hearings, one in front of a judge and one in front of a review officer. I uh, had him out to a number of doctors. At no point did he have to uh, recount that story, and I'm really proud of that. I'm really proud that we didn't have to re-victimize the victim there in order to get a good resolution for him. And we got him a great back pay amount, and now he's going to be getting, I have a, I got a 100% rating for him, so he'll be getting over $3,000 a month. Fantastic. And that's another thing to mention is, you know, we get a percentage of the back pay, but we don't take anything going forward. Mm-hmm. You get your monthly compensation. Well, thank you, Brian uh, Klaus and Monica Ireland. Uh, Karis, uh, I know the phone number is 414-375-1657, but we are so glad to have you with us uh, to talk about this uh, topic and we are going to have to have you back again thank you for listening to america's heroes group podcast don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss an episode and for more details visit americashg.org